God's words to the book of Acts. Tell you, this might be one of those you need to fasten your seatbelts because we're going to cover a lot of territory. Sometimes I'll just ask you to write down the references and, and dig a little deeper later on your own. Um, otherwise, we could be here till 12 or 12.30. All right. Last week, we were finishing up in uh, Acts chapter 20. Uh, and again, Paul's verse, uh, Acts 20, 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you remember... Uh, Paul is talking to the, uh, the elders from the church of Ephesus. Uh, they were not in Ephesus. They were down at Miletus. He had sailed past, Mile- or past Ephesus to Miletus because he knew that if he stopped in Ephesus, he wouldn't get out in a timely manner. He knew he'd be there longer than his calendar would, should allow him. And so he passed Miletus, or excuse me, passed Ephesus and went to Miletus and, and had the elders come down and meet with him there. And that's what uh, verse uh, 18 through 38 uh, of Acts chapter 20 is, is Paul talking to them and, and he's telling them, be on guard, be aware. Uh, it's your responsibility to watch over the flock, to take care of them. Uh, and because verse 29, he says, I know that after I depart, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And it's exactly what happened. That's why he wrote the book of Ephesians later on back to that church and saying, guys, remember what I warned you about? It happened. Okay? And that, that's, that's a familiar thing. Things that, that we preachers get to warn you about from the pulpit happens, unfortunately. But it does. Okay? We, we, I think back to the election last November and Proposal 3 and the damage that we warned would be coming because of it and we're seeing it come to fruition in our, in our laws and in our state legislatures, unfortunately. Keep praying, though. Don't give up. Keep praying because not this past week, but the week before, uh, there's 15 bills in the Senate, and, or excuse me, in committees and... Uh, a, a key Democrat crossed the line and voted pro-life so that five of those 15 didn't go to the House. Now, the other 10 that did go are, are damning enough. They're, they're bad enough on their own. But we do need to pray for those that are in authority over us. God can still work. Remember, don't forget Proverbs 21.1. The heart of the king is like a channels of water, and God turns it wherever he will. Okay? God's got it, folks. He's in charge. And some of the garbage that he allows to happen is because of our sin. It's not because of him. It's because of our sin and just a little tiny piece of maybe what we deserve for our lack of standing up. We're going to talk about a guy today that didn't mind standing up for his faith. We looked last week just real quick. Verses 31, we had a bunch of do-nots. So with the do-nots, we want some of the positive sides, the bees, okay? In verse 31, do not be careless. Be alert. Verse 32, 
Don't be shallow. Build. Build up so that you're not shallow. Verse 33, don't be covetous. And it doesn't hit it in that verse, but it'll hit it in a couple verses. The absence of that, of don't be covetous, is be generous. Verse 34, don't be lazy. He says, do, okay, and do, okay, do be industrious. He's talking about his hands. And all this is part of his defense we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the defense of his faith, because when he was away from Ephesus, remember, he's talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Uh, and in the, the year that he went up over uh, through Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and then down to Corinth, and he was there for three months, wrote the book of Romans, now he's on his way back as he heads back to Jerusalem. Thanks, Stephen. I knew you knew that what that meant the way I was looking at that. Okay, he was over. Yeah, where are we? Here's Ephesus. He spent three years here. And he headed up over and came to Corinth. And now he's coming back. And uh, I'm going to point these out later today. We'll see. As, as he leaves Miletus and on his trip to, to Jerusalem, he's going to hit Kos. He's going to hit Patara. Possibly Myra. They believe he did there too before he ends up over here in Tyre, Ptolemais, and Caesarea before he heads to Jerusalem. He's got his frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Hope he got his passport stamped. They have some interesting ones, no doubt. Turn with me for a moment, if you would, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Verses 38 to 40. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The title of our sermon is, Christ Suffered for Us. We need to know and understand that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It was not a pleasant journey, but He came for that purpose. It's the reason God sent His Son to this earth was so that He could die for you and for me, for your sins. Several times, and, and that was the first time that we looked at there in Matthew 12, um, and these write down because we're not going to take the time to turn to each one. Matthew 16, 21-27. Matthew 16, 21 to 27. Matthew 17, 22 to 23. Matthew 20, 17 to 19. This was God's plan. Adam didn't sin and God said, oh dear, what are we going to do now? God knew what was going to happen. And from the very beginning, He had a plan. And so when he starts his earthly ministry, he tells the guys, 
the disciples. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be crucified. In different, different times, if, if you look up those verses, Peter says, no, Lord, you can't do that. And that's when the Lord says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because that's why I came. That's the whole purpose of my ministry here. It's the reason that I came to this earth. If you want, you can turn to Matthew 26. Start in verse 67. They spat in his face and they beat him with their fists. And others slapped him. And they said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Chapter 27, verse 26. He released Barabbas to them, but after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. After weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him. They took a reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. This was not something that Jesus looked forward to in his whole earthly ministry. He knew that it was why he came. He didn't fight it. He humbled himself and became obedient under the Father. And he came... And he died so that we might live. Nope. Wrong one. I want to read from here. George Sweeting, in his book, The Acts of God, says, How few are the lovers of the cross of Jesus. So wrote Thomas Akempis nearly 500, well, it's nearly 600 years ago now, in his classic, The Imitation of Christ. The world usually misunderstands those, like Thomas Akempis, who love the cross of Christ. According to Paul, those raised on Greek wisdom viewed the cross as foolishness. The Romans accused early Christians of being morbid in their focus on the crucifixion. Why rejoice in the death of a victim, they asked. Christians have always answered, because the victim became the victor. The crucified Christ became the risen Lord. Amen. Faith enables people to see beyond the agony of the death of Jesus. The cross was no hapless streak of bad luck that fell upon a, victorious, a virtuous teacher. It was a divine appointment to deal with the problem of human sin. You're the reason he died. I'm the reason he died. Because we sin. 
And that's why he had to die for us. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, he was ready to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. In giving himself, he broke the power of sin for us. Death could not hold him. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. The cross became a place of new beginning. That is why Christians shout about it. But the faith of Christians not only looks beyond the cross, it enables us to endure a cross. Knowing that Jesus set the example, martyrs gladly march into Roman arenas to be devoured by lions. Knowing that Jesus passed through death triumphantly enables believers to risk everything for him. Paul's life illustrates that kind of faith. Paul was a lover of the cross of Jesus. In Acts 21, he sets his face towards Jerusalem, ready to die for Jesus' sake. Paul was no fool. He saw death as a passageway, either a dungeon door that led to eternal separation from God or a celestial door to the kingdom of God. In Christ, Paul did not fear death. He welcomed it. By faith, he willingly risked everything in life for everything in death. So as we look at Acts chapter 21, we're going to look back at 20 a little bit too, but primarily on chapter 21 today, verses 1 through 14. Paul knew the price that Jesus paid. He knew that there was suffering there. Now, I need to make a, a very clear distinction here. Jesus Christ knew that when he went to Jerusalem, he would be dying for the sins of the world. Paul knew that when he went to Jerusalem, he might die for the name of Jesus Christ. We know that there are some that worship Paul as though he was the Christ. Don't get that confused. Don't be confused. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Paul knew that he might suffer for the name of Jesus, not for our sins, but that if he, if he stood firm and he proclaimed the name of Jesus and, and he wasn't mamby-pamby or shy about witnessing of who Christ was and what he came to do, that there was a good chance he was going to suffer. Physically. Suffer for the name of Jesus. But don't be confused. He did not die, Paul did not die for you or me. He only died for the name of Jesus. With the goal and the intent, the purpose, that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. That's what Paul was all about. And he says, if we look back real quick at chapter 20, Verse 22, chapter 20, verse 22. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds of affliction await me. There's a lot of people that say, well, Paul was stupid. He shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit warned him not to go, told him not to. No, he didn't tell him not to go. Chapter 21. He's at Tyre now, the, the, the T-Y-R-E, on his way back to Jerusalem. They, they have left Miletus. They've landed at Tyre. And if you recall, we talked about in the Aegean Sea at this time of the year, the winds blow great in the morning and slowly in the afternoon they die out. And then at night they, they just don't go anywhere. So you'll see there's several places where it talks about uh, they, in verse 1, they stopped at Kos and then Rhodes and, and then Patara and, and then before they could get to Phine- It's because when they were in the Aegean Sea there, this is the up, up here in the Aegean Sea and this is where he's, he's coming out of. During that time of year, the winds come out of the north and they only come out of the north in the morning and early afternoon. So that's why there's so many stops in this trip. But they're entire now. And in verse 4, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Verse 10. Now they're, now they're in Caesarea. They're back over here on the... Where are we? Here we go. Caesarea. They're back over in the, in the land of Israel area, and they're getting closer to Jerusalem. He hasn't made it there yet, but he gets another warning. Verse 10, and as we're staying there for some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And he was the one, I believe it was in chapter 11 that we heard of from before. This is the same Agabus. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands. And, now that would be a trick, to bound your own hands and feet, okay? This is what the Holy Spirit says. This is Agabus. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man whose own belt, who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12, you have another group of people that are trying to tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Luke includes himself in this group now. He says, when we had heard this, these were his traveling companions. Remember the, all those guys from all the different churches over in, in uh, Macedonia and in Asia, the minor Asia area that are traveling. I think there was eight or nine guys that were carrying the offerings from those churches to the church, uh, the believers in Jerusalem. And he says, when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Interesting. In the in the original text in the Greek, there is a a I'm not I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it because it's it's got too many letters in it. O U. I'll mess it up if I try to say it, so I won't. Just the, the Greek the Greek word O U is not found in this passage anywhere in chapter twenty or twenty word. Well, you say, okay, big deal. That's two letters. It's not there. What does that mean? The O-U is, is, in the Greek is an absolute forbidding. Yet thou shalt not. And nowhere in this passage is that found. So we have a lot of people say, well, Paul was stupid. He should have never gone to Jerusalem. Well, we need to look at it is that it was 
a foretelling, not a forbidding. It was a prediction, not a prohibition. He was being warned of what he was going to encounter. And in, in chapter 20, 20 uh, let's see. Chapter 20, verse 23, Except that the Holy Spirit testimonies testifies to me that in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. And then after, in chapter 21, verse 12, when Luke and his group, the, his, his, Paul's traveling companions, say, we were begging him not to go to Jerusalem, verse 13, Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Are you willing to die for the name of Jesus? I know I always use my example of practice. If 10 guys walked in that door right now with machine guns and said, if you don't know Jesus or don't love Jesus, leave. Otherwise, we're going to kill all the Christians that are here. How many of you would walk out? How many of you value your life more than to stand firm for Jesus? How many of you would walk out? Uh, amen. Amen. And that's why I practice, because I don't want to. I want to make sure that I stand firm. Paul says, I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, look at, look at the, the stamps he's had on his passports. Look at the, the, the places he's gone to do, the brothers that he's got to lead to the Lord. Because he yielded himself to the Holy Spirit back in the very beginning. And Paul and Barnabas, in their first missionary journey, left the church at Antioch, remember? The church up here in the Antioch was their sending church. The Holy Spirit led them. The Holy Spirit led the church to send them. So they went. They were obedient. And Paul says, in my life and in my faith, I am going to be obedient to what God tells me to do. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Amen and amen. It can't get any better than that. That the will of God be done. Sorry, Sarah, I'm going to pick on Victor's not here today. When Victor was going and interviewing for his job, he said, we don't want to lose you, but we're going to pray that God's will will be done. And so they can move knowing and being confident and comfortable in the fact that they're doing the will of God. That God is leading them, unfortunately, away from us. They know they're welcome back anytime. Every time. Anytime. All the time. But it, that, 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 you, that we would live and walk in such a way that it is more important that the will of the Lord be accomplished than our own desires, than what we would rather have happen, than what we would rather choose. Paul says, I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. 
Can you hit me? Thank you. You should all be thanking me too. You didn't have to listen to that. In stereo. <laughs> okay. We know that Christ came to die for our sins because we are sinners. We've seen that Paul was willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. That he is, is willing to, to sacrifice. He, he's going to go to Jerusalem, one, for the name of Jesus, and two, because he, he had, I, I believe he had this sense of, of uh, responsibility that he's got to get this offering there. Now, the other men could have taken it, but he, was respons- he felt responsible for it, so he wanted to go with it. He wanted to be part of the team to deliver this gift from all the, all the other churches to Jerusalem and the believers there that had need because of the great famine that was there. One of the things that, that we see in this passage that Paul teaches us, we, we, we've seen that he was aware of the cost of, of what his faith in God was going to cost him. And he was ready and prepared to pay that price. But there's also, we see here, the gift of Christian friendship at work. At every step of the path. 21.4 again, they're entire. They stayed there for seven days. And the people kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to not to set foot in Jerusalem, but it came about that our days were ended there. We departed and started on our journey while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. Verse 7 we had finished the voyage from Tyre. We're arriving at Ptolemais. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. They stayed with them and fellowshiped with them. And I'm sure, no doubt, that there was food involved. It doesn't say that they were Baptists, but I'm just sure that there was food involved. Verses 8 and 10. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, entering the house of Philip the Evangelist. And this is the fellow, remember, that was one of the seven disciples that were appointed, I believe it's back in Acts chapter 6, appointed to be uh, the, the, one of the, the uh, deacons to hand out the food to the widows to make sure that it was done fairly and properly. Who was one of seven who stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And they were staying there for some days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Okay. Um, They were staying with Philip in his house. And again, I'm sure food was involved because they were there for certain days, plural, more than one. So I hope there was food involved. Okay. Now, and, and I don't want to breeze lightly over verse 9 because people always like to bring that up as, as to why uh, 
women should have more of a role in the church than God says they should. But the four virgin daughters were prophetesses. The, the commentators will say that one, one, the, the biggest thing to look at here is that the Holy Spirit was given that they were believers because they obviously had the Holy Spirit. Theirs was not a foretelling of the gospel. It was a foretelling. The, the, it was the ministry that, that was given, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in and of themselves. Doesn't mean it was okay for, for, for women to be elders and deacons. That's not what it was. It was a ministry of the Holy Spirit that came upon them at the time of salvation. And that there was foretelling going on. That they were used by God. We, we see several times in the Bible that, that um, God, when, when men don't stand up and be the spiritual leaders they're supposed to be, that God will use willing women. It's not that women aren't capable, they're very capable. If you want to look in 1 Timothy, you'll see what God's plan is. He created Adam first, and that was just his plan. He didn't say right from the start that that made men better than women, or women better than men, or women less than men. That was just his plan from the beginning. And you want to sit and argue with God? Feel free. Argue all you want. You're going to lose. There is a plan and a purpose to the way God set it up. Don't underestimate the or, or, or undermine or under yeah underestimate the idea that, that uh, women are capable because they are. Erwin Lutzer, listening to him preach last week, he was ta- or two weeks ago, and he was talking about, um, well, you know, it's, it's God's plan and the structure and the Word of God is that the man is the breadwinner and the woman is to maintain the household. And in the churches today, a lot, a lot of people have said, you come to him and they say, well, she can get a better job and make more money. So he stays at home with the kids, and the kids love it, and he loves it, and that's great. Herman Lutzer said, looked back and said, I don't care. It's not God's plan. It's not God's design. I'm not saying this to step on anybody's toes, but it's not God's plan. It's not what his word says. And even though it works, it doesn't mean it's right. We need to live in obedience to the Word of God. And that may be difficult, especially in our times. It may not be easy. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. And we need to live according to His Word. As difficult as that may be, as difficult as it may seem, just because we think it's working well doesn't mean it's right. The friendship. We'll, we'll hit it some next week again. This thought 
continues next week. We're not going to go into past verse 14 this week, but we'll, we'll see it again, the, the friendship idea of, of who he's staying with in Jerusalem and that. But the gift of, of Christian friendship is so critical and so important That's what kept Paul going, okay? How, how, do we, how do we experience Christian friendship? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't think this was going to be my bully pulpit this morning, but I'm going to whip on you all, okay? The first thing we need to do is practice hospitality. Oh, that's easy, Pastor. I don't think so. I don't think we're doing a very good job of it. I understand. People are at different stages in life. And and some aren't able to. Some are still capable of. But I want to challenge you folks. Old folks. When's the last time you had a young couple over to to your house for dinner? Not just on Sunday, any day of the week. And young folks, now you thought you were off to Schneid, right? Uh Uh-uh. When was the last time you invited some old folks over to your house? It's amazing what you can learn about a family. And you know what? Is there anybody in here that's perfect? Is there anybody in here that doesn't have family skeletons in the closet? Is there anybody whose family is perfect? We can be open with one another and share our hurts with one another. When our daughter got pregnant when she was in high school, you would not believe it was just about everybody in the church had a sister or a mom or a cousin who'd gotten pregnant in high school. And we didn't know that about them before that. I was sorry that it came to that, that that was the way we found out. But what family... Is perfect. None of us are perfect. And what it will give you an opportunity to do is to know one another better. So guess what? You know how better to pray for one another. Not so you know how better to talk about them to somebody else in church. Well, we're just asking them to pray. We're not gossiping. It's just a prayer request. Folks, We have to practice hospitality. We need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to show emotions and affection. If you have that young couple over and they share something about their family, it's an opportunity for you to weep with them. Or to rejoice with them because they just had twins. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you leave them here for us? To... <laughs> yeah. No, just kidding, of course. We need to share our emotions with one another. Again, there ain't none of us that's perfect, folks. We all have hurts. We all have pain. Who better than to let someone know it 
than another believer that can pray for us. Look, look at how many times, two, two different times, I thought it was cool, they, they, they went down to the, the beach. Well, of course, because Paul and his group was getting on a boat to sail, so obviously the beach is a logical place to go. But they knelt and they prayed. And the one group brought their wives and kids. And they knelt and prayed for Paul and his group as they were going on. Oh, look at that. Point number three, pray together. Ha! But it starts with the hospitality thing. And, and it's nice if, if you're in a place in your life where you can take somebody to a restaurant, but it's even nicer if you can take them to your home. It's a little more difficult to, to get emotional and pray in, in public, and I don't think that that's necessarily what that's calling us to do. I, I think it's very appropriate to invite somebody to your home to fellowship together. Number four there in how to develop a Christian friendships is to discuss important decisions. Vic and Sarah shared with us what was ahead of them, a job interview, so that we could pray with them about it. Two weeks from today, we're going to have a quarterly business meeting to discuss, to discuss as a body of Christ important decisions. It's important to do that, to lean on each other, to depend on each other, to love one another. Well, I'd love to read several pages of this, but I know I don't have time. I'm going to try to pick a little bit of it out. This is, again, Tony Moreta in his book on Acts. It's, re, it's remarkable to observe how often Paul is surrounded by Christian friends as he does the work of God, that God called him to do. Paul travels with friends. He stays with them. He visits them. He works alongside them. They journey together. They spend time together. They talk together. They weep together. They no doubt laugh together. And they pray together. I believe Paul surrounded him with friends because he, like every person, is created in the image of God. And we humans are made for community. God exists in a perfect triune relationship and we who are made by Him and in His likeness are built for friendships. Even the mighty Apostle Paul needed friends. But the importance of friends isn't limited to what we can read about Paul. Uh, Let's see. um, Tim Keller says in his book, to need and to want deep spiritual friendship is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of health. Think back to Genesis chapter 2. Prior to sin entering the world, when everything was perfect, God declared everything that he had made as being good, except one thing. Adam was alone. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one's aches that's not the result of sin. God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without friends, human friends. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day, 24 hours, yet he needed friends. If you are lonely, get this, pay attention to this. If you are lonely... You are not dysfunctional. You're fine. Go read that again. 
If you are lonely, you are not dysfunctional, you are fine. You're lonely because you're not a tree. You're lonely because you're not a machine. You're lonely because you're built this way. Now, I have to be careful because uh, one of the reasons you may not have friends is because of sin. But the passion for it, the need for friendship, the sense of lack of it is not wrong at all. Friends, let yourself need people. Here's the trouble. When you're in trouble, it's too late. You know, very few people walking around saying, ah, I love air. Ah, air, air. What good is my brain without air? What good would my life be without air? You only sound that way when you're underwater and you start to say, wow, air, I need air. And you don't walk around saying, I need friends until you emotionally and personally go under. And then it's too late if you don't already have them. You need spiritual friendships. When the, when the times get tough, and as Paul's heading to Jerusalem, he's, he's had some tough times and he's going to have tougher times. But he depended on the friends that God gave him. Practice hospitality. Show emotions and affection. Pray together. Discuss important decisions. That's how you can develop spiritual friendships. Do that this week. And maybe not today. I know my wife, when we're going to have people over for dinner, if I walked up to her after the service today and said, hey, honey, so-and-so's coming over for dinner, she'd shoot me. (laughs) She'd flat out shoot me. But if we plan ahead, that's good. That's okay. We can make plans. Well, I know we're, we're, we're both, we're, we're, we're the youngest. We're the babies of our families. And they say, you know, oldest shouldn't marry each other and babies shouldn't marry each other. Well, we're, we're both planners. So, yeah, we, we got to plan it. So maybe not today. Maybe, maybe you can't have somebody. Maybe you can. Maybe, maybe you're the spontaneous one on the, on the nose. Invite somebody over today then. But if you're a planner, plan to do it and do it. Okay? Do it. One of, one of the things that we noticed when we came here is obviously we are an older congregation. I think when we got here, there, there might have been 10 people younger than Beth and I, and we're really old. <laughs> and it was our prayer from the start that God would bring us younger families, that He would grow this church. Uh, that it would grow through having twins and, and babies, right? Okay? But not just that, but that it would grow through spiritual growth. And that we needed to see younger families come in to, to add to us. And since we've been here, we've seen some younger families come, but we've also seen younger families go. And I just wonder if it's because maybe some of us old farts weren't hospitable enough. Maybe some of us didn't try to develop that friendship across the decades and generations. Folks, we need to develop that between the old and the young. Between the young and the young too. And between the old and the old. Usually between the old and the old is not a problem because you've been here for 200 years and you all know each other's 
13th cousins and all the relationships back to cousin Harry out that lives north of town in the woods and nobody's seen him in 20 years. But folks, we got to develop friendships. We've got to develop relationships with one another. That's how we can care about one another. Father, thank you for your word. Challenge our hearts that we would develop Christian friendships within this body right here. And Father, I'm stressing today the idea between the old and the young, but any, any boundaries, single, married, old, young, likes animals, doesn't like animals, whatever, we can find that out as we go. Father, thank you for the example of Paul in your word. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that you were willing to go to the cross and die for us. You knew before the foundations of the world were laid what it was going to cost. And yet you did it anyhow. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Teach us to love one another better. We ask for your guidance and direction in this week for protection and safety and whatever activities we're involved in, Father. But most importantly, help us to be obedient to you. Because that is the way that we make our walk talk. that others will see Jesus in us. Father, help us to be bold. Help us to love one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to weep and rejoice with one another. And this we pray, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Uh, Don't forget, members, 